Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcasts about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center to Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. We are making this podcast with Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello, Vladimir. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So today we decided to talk with you about Russian ideology. What's happening in the minds of current Russian elite and uh, citizens? How can we describe it? Um, and we we call this episode, is Russia more fascist or Stalinist? Maybe the, the answer is it is something in between and we, we will try to trace the ge- uh, genealogy of this ideology, what's happening right now. But first, uh, it's it's remarkable how Russians are considering themselves as basically a country which fights against fascists. Yeah, that's that's extremely interesting and, and important question because we we try to understand the big idea which must be behind this war because on the 55th day of the war we still don't understand, don't really understand. Ukrainians just don't understand what's happening and what is the idea um, behind all this um, all this aggression. Um, we may call it um, imperialistic idea of conquering territory, but at the same time, what we see, they are not really conquering territories. They are destroying territories. Look what they d- done in Mariupol. Or, for example, at that very day, they started their big offensive in Lugansk and Donbass, and they are um, exploiting the same methodology of destroying everything of on their way. We've seen that in Bucha, Irpin, Vorzel. So this is not about conquering. This is not about really about occupation. Uh, this is something different, and we try to find words to the to to to, to denominate that to, to to what is inspiring Russia today. Because yes, we know we do know that Russia has this huge totalitarian heritage. For example, if we look at sociology, we know that Russians are really fascinated, really fascinated by Stalin. For example, back in 2019, there were sociology uh, polls uh, asking about the attitudes towards Stalin and about 70%, 70% of Russians were convinced that Stalin was a positive figure in Russian history. So uh, at the same time, their biggest fear is Nazis. That's why they're calling all Ukrainians Nazis. And what we read in their propaganda, propaganda texts just several uh, weeks ago, it was about denazification and de-Ukrainization. They're just mixing two things together. For them, being Ukrainian means to be Nazis. So this kind of historical fear of uh, of Nazi, but Nazi is necessary also because this is a figure of defeat, because Nazis were defeated by Russia in 20th century. So this is a kind of um, uh, terrible mix of all these ideologies. So l- let's make it clear. But Nazis were not defeated by Russia. Nazis were defeated by a huge coalition of countries. Yeah, but they think that they were defeated by Russia. Yes, Soviet Union, the countries which suffered the most from the Nazi occupation is not today's Russia, but today's Ukraine and Belarus, if we, if we are talking about Soviet Union. But indeed, this concept of, of Nazism, so it, it, it goes 
it brings us back to the past. So Russia created the mythology of the past. This is a huge difference uh, compared to today's Ukraine. Ukrainians look at the past with basically mourning, with tragedy. They're, they're looking at the past as a very tragic thing. Ukrainians don't want the past to come back. Uh, the Ukrainian slogan, which is never, which will never happen, probably, it's "Let's make Ukraine great again." We we don't like the word again. Russians can use this word again. Therefore, one of the uh, one of the key concepts, key phrases of Russian memes, even is "We can do it again. We can repeat." Mm -hmm. And recently, for example... This and they're referring to the victory in the Second World War. Yes, they're, they're referring to the victory of the Second World War. But recently, uh, we had a very, um, I would say, horrible, you know, mem which was circulating in Russian social networks. Uh, a man who was killing a pig. And there was an inscription, Bucha massacre. We can repeat it. We can do it again. Right, so a, a clear reference that a man, the pig, is in in Russian stereotypes mean means Ukrainians, and they they were referring that well, not only they accept responsibility for Bucha massacre, Riznya Bucha, and Riznya the letter Z was written with a Latin uh, character, and in, in the phrase "Mojem Povtarit," the letter V was also written in in Latin character. So we yeah, see this, this mythology. The de dehumanization of Ukrainians, so the topic we are discussing quite often. So if Ukrainian is a pig, so you have right to, 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 to kill the pig. That's all. Exactly, exactly. But uh, indeed, uh, when before the war, when before the war, I was following Russian discussions, some very you know, hardliners. And I was surprised uh, because they were saying, Russians were saying, we need to come back to a world order security, European security world order, which would be founded on two pillars and not only on one. Two pillars meaning America and Russia. So basically the idea was a return to Cold War system when part of Europe is a Warsaw Pact and depends on Russia. Mm. And I was saying at the time that, look, if you want to come back to this, let's say, Yalta, uh, Yalta model of the world, or let's say the European security of the 60s, of the 50s, 60s, 70s, that, that means that you need to return to Stalin. And uh, the, the people themselves, the Russians themselves, who were discussing that, they were saying, yes, we need to return to Stalin, meaning that we need to erase all the remains of the liberalism, liberal Russia, all the remains of freedom of speech, all the remains of uh, free discussion, etc. So the, 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 the need to come back to Stalin. And that's what's happening right now. And coming back to Stalin, it also means that they don't recognize all the crimes committed by Stalin's regime against their own citizens. So about millions of Russians who, who were killed, uh, tortured during that time, all these totalitarian uh, times, they, are not, uh, they have not learned the lessons of this time. And this is a difference between what we call 
totalitarian regime in, in, in Russia, in, in Soviet Union, in comparison to Germany. Because there were no, uh, no idea to condemn and no, no con- condemning reality, I mean, after the, the end of the Soviet Union, no recognition of all the crimes committed during 70 years. So it makes it possible to come back to this story, to come back to Stalin. And it, it can explain at least, partially, at least partially why Stalin is still perceived positively in Russia. If you ask somebody in Ukraine, what's your attitude towards Stalin? You will, you will, it, it, it will take time to find somebody. I, I imagine you could find maybe 10 years ago, you, you, you were st- we were still able to find, I don't know, an old person saying, oh, Stalin was good because he created a great country, something like that. But now you cannot find anybody, really, any, nobody in, in Ukraine who would, who would say we are fond of Stalin because we know about Stalin's crimes against his own people, not only, surely enough, against Ukrainians, but at the same time against Russians. And when they uh, still, when they support Stalin, it means they, they, they still support I don't know, the murders of their own people. So all this suffering, so there's a kind of very, very uh, strange, strange ideology, a very strange attitude to their own history because um, there were victims maybe in their own families, people who support Stalin today. Let's think about it. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had in social networks kind of a mem or infographic circulating. And I think even some European politicians shared it. I don't remember who exactly. I think the prime minister of Slovenia, if not, if I'm not mistaken. So the uh, infographics was depicting uh, Nazi swastika and the communist uh, symbol Serpi Molot uh, and basically creating an image that Russia was born out of a marriage between the two. So the idea that Russia, contemporary Russia, Putinist Russia, has been born out of the marriage of uh, Nazi or fascist ideologies, of far-right ideology, and communist Stalin, Stalinist ideology, the far-left ideology. And it's very interesting uh, as a kind of a, a food for thought, food for reflection. So let's try to think, think about it. Because if you look at Putinism and his idols, uh, there will be certainly Stalin, but there will be no Lenin. Lenin is not among the Putinist. But Lenin uh, created Ukraine. Putinist, uh, according to Putin. uh, Putinist symbols, and uh, he's criticizing Lenin very much. Putin, he he criticizes and and his entourage. And the idea is that Lenin created Soviet Union with so-called republics, Soviet socialist republics, who had their borders and who had their kind of a fake sovereignty. But still, it was a sovereignty, right? So it was not a Russian empire without any borders inside, as Stalin was initially wanted to, to make. But it was a sort of empire, but federation or confederation at the same time. And this Russian ideology, Putinist ideology, is saying that this was a major mistake because uh, the, so when the Soviet Union collapsed, these kind of republics, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Latvia, Lithuania, Georgia, uh, left Soviet Union based upon these borders, based upon these administrative structures, uh, state institutions, which were very, uh, were very fastly created into 
institutions of independent states. And that's why precisely what they are doing with Ukraine now, because what they are doing, they try to to erase what is Ukrainian. So for them, in another article, Putin, in the same article, he was stating that Lenin created this artificial state, which is Ukraine. But in the same article, he was stating that uh, there is no Ukraine at all. So this is the same people. What they are doing now, for example, in Mariupol, when they are deporting people from Mariupol, at that very moment, they deported already 70,000 people from Mariupol. And they are passing through a kind of filtration camps they ask people what what do they think about political situation what do they think about ukraine and russia etc and people who say that they for example they uh, say something in favor of ukraine they just do not pass the control we already have testimonies of that and then other people who say that they are they are neutral or they just don't care or they just want to live or something they are just pleasant they go to russia and they they will be assimilating so the idea is to assimilate everything coming from ukraine that's why they're killing and when, when we read that they try to de-ukrainize ukraine it means that there is no difference and no real borders what we were discussing with you about about russian culture as a culture without any borders so they just try to erase any kind of difference, any kind of history, which is not Russian. And really, this is simp- much more simple for them with Ukraine, because anyway, this close country, you know, it's not Georgia, it's not, it's not, 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 not a big difference. So they're trying to erase everything which is Ukrainian and say that there is the same people. And their, their tactics is just to leave only ruins. And maybe some people will come back, I don't know, they, in their... In their the idea is that Russians will come here and live in Mariupol, I don't know. But the idea is that Russian population will come here. And what, what we've seen in Crimea, for example, back in 2014, after annexation of Peninsula, there were a lot of Ukrainian patriots or anyway, people who were con- self-identification was Ukrainian. They left Crimea. But at the same time, there were a lot of Russians coming to Crimea. So, And that, in, in a result, after eight years before this full-scale invasion, if you travel to Crimea, you will see the majority, real majority of people who are mostly pro-Russian, at least they they consider themselves to be Russian. So the the idea is to erase any kind of frontier, any kind of border, any kind of difference between states, and that's it. And the same story with Belarus. So the idea is that everything which is not Russia is artificial artificial state and this is very imperialistic at the same time but at the same time it's 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 not empire it's not a classical empire it's something different well this is another maritime empire because when for example the western scholars are discussing the imperialism you know and we know the classic studies by edward said and all the rest they are based on the experience of maritime empire who came uh, who come to a very different country, very different culture, and says, you are the other, you are the exotic, you are different, you have a different race, and uh, you will be kind of a marginalized in this difference, in this otherness, in this exoticism. Uh, Russian Empire is different. It's not a maritime empire. It's a continental empire. So, of course, there are some same structures when, for example, the Slavs are coming to Buryats, and there is a huge difference, right? Although now it's it's so interesting to see the Buryats, the Buddhists, 
speaking Russian and considering themselves as Russian. And, and being specifically very much cruel. And being very cruel right now in in the war here in Ukraine. But uh, talking about Russians' attitude to Ukrainians and Belarusians, the attitude is completely different. The, the situation is different because, of course, there is little race uh, differences between Ukrainians and, and Russians. No race difference, maybe. There are differences in language, in music, in culture, but uh, not that huge. And therefore, there is this temptation to mm -hmm. say that, well, we neglect all those differences. Th those differences just don't matter. So instead of, uh, you know, objectifying them in their otherness, Russians are saying, no, 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 you, you're not other at all. You're not different at all. And those who are others, who are different, they're fake people. So yeah, for them, there's a fake people. So this fake identity, so Ukrainian identity is a fake identity. This is a fake state, not failed state, but fake state in, for them. I mean, and that's why for Ukraine, you just, and you don't have the right to exist if you are kind of fake people, fake Ukrainians. You, really, you're Russians. So we'll show you that you are Russians. And that's why, we, we observe such an Im immense number of cruelties. I don't know, all these, all these shellings, all these, all these missiles, all these killings, rapes, and everything. So this is about that you are just, you just don't exist. You, uh, and if you exist, you don't have the right to exist. That's it. Exactly. Yes. And uh, but th this is very, very important to understand that the differences between maritime imperialism and continental imperialism because maritime Im imperialism creates this uh, objectifi objectification of the other while the continental imperialism uh, proceeds with assimilation logic so erasing all the otherness i think there is another model as well look at what hitler did in europe it was neither maritime empire no that uh, continental empire because then conquering in his idea to conquer Europe he was not assimilating uh, assimilating other nations they were like a second sort of people I mean they were not assimilate they were not as they didn't have the same rights as for example Germans and the, he was also exterminating like Jewish for this example. is the this is the difference between because uh, Nazism well, was also Can dreaming. Can we call Nazi empire or not? Nazism was also dreaming about the continental empire, uh, but it was inspired in many ways in these racist the theories of the maritime empires, of the British and French theories. And if you look at the way how Nazis were formulating their anti-Semitism, there is much in this maritime empires logic, because they were saying that look, Jews are Asians; they're not Europeans. And uh, they are coming from the south and from the east, and we, the Nordic, are coming from the west and from the north. The most, uh, the most important thing. So this logic was was present in this Nazi ideology, but uh, I think Russian ideology is, is different in that way. Is that it gives you a chance to uh, kind of a go into the upper class. Let's let's put it in that way. It gives a person a chance to go into the upper class. For Nazis, if you are a Jew, you don't have any chance to go to the uh, to become Aryan or if you are a Sla Slav, for example, if you are Ukrainian, yeah, you are second sort, you are untermensch, etc. In in uh, Russian ideology, especially in Stalinism, and therefore I I, I really um, kind of stress on, on this heritage of Stalinism. 
The Stalinism had a concept бывшие люди, former people. It was expressed already in 29 when Stalin got power in the Soviet Union. Uh, and this concept бывшие люди actually goes back to, to Gorky, to Maxim Gorky novella. Uh, but in Stalin's words, бывшие люди me, uh, was meaning all this petty bourgeoisie, all these capitalists, uh, maybe peasants, uh, competitors of, of the Bolsheviks, who were in the past. And you have a chance to, you know, to, to reject your past through the amnesia, through everything, and kind of uh, enter this, this system. So, so the chance you had the chance. So it, it's it's much more fluid than the Nazi, Nazi ideology. Uh, but uh, but anyway, I mean, it was like uh, when the Nazis were saying about the untermenschen, the the lower humans. The Stalinists were saying about former humans, the humans who were sometimes humans in the past, but no, are no longer humans. And uh, Ukrainian peasants who were destroyed, as, um, annihilated in the 30s, were also probably considered to be former humans. This is an extremely interesting point. But uh, what I really think, I think that speaking about today's Russia, uh, we cannot really speak about any kind of coherent ideology. So you cannot really compare communist ideology, I don't know, totalitarian ideology or Soviet ideology or Nazi ideology with what Russia is doing and what it is thinking. Because there is no coherence in what do they do and what do they think and what do, do they plan to do. Because even from the very beginning of this um, of this war, this full-scale invasion in Ukraine, we see that they change their plans according to their possibilities and they change also the justification for their own population about what's going on. They presented the aim, the objective of their operation being like denazification, demilitarization of Ukraine, like that, out of the blue. Uh, it, and it, it came after the ultimatum to the West, to the NATO, so go away, so we will share the world. At least it was a little understandable. But what happens ne next? Next, they, they, they just receive this kind of resistance of Ukrainians, Ukrainian army, territorial defense and all, all the people. They understand that this is not possible. They publish text about de-Ukrainization. So there we read that we just don't have the right to exist. And now, today, they are talking, Lavrov is talking today about liberation of Donbass people, so as the aim of this operation. This is a kind of eclectic, eclectic ideas and eclectic uh, actions. And sometimes we really don't understand what do they want from, from this whole situation. And, what, and that's why I would be cautious about talk, talking about any kind of ideology, because this is not about class, this is not about vision, Because ideology, even if it's mistaken, even if it's criminal ideology, it has a kind of a vision of the world. What we don't understand with Russia, about Russia today, we don't understand the vision. What do they really want in the end of that? Well, we can, I, I agree with you, but uh, I think there is some logic in their minds, and this logic is very eclectic, and we need to, we need to understand the way how, how they think or try to think. 
but I do think that there is a kind of this merge of these two elements, very far right tradition, because, well, Putin, it's, it's a well-known fact that there is a very important element in his ideology is uh, the philosophers, emigre Russian philosophers who fled the Bolshevism, who fled Lenin, etc., like Ivan Ilyin or or some other people, I don't know, Ern, uh, Struve, and and all the all, all other people who are basically at that time what happened in their minds uh, to explain to our audience. They created this kind of a religion of Russia, so they they really uh, uh, facing the ideology of, of, of the communist uh, of the communist party of the Bolsheviks who were creating the religion of the proletariat they were creating the religion of Russia in, in a way Russia uh, above all right and kind of uh, this goddess Russia and um, and of course people like Ilyin were very close to to the fascist ideologies of the time to the far-right ideologies of the time so when Right now, Russians are so, uh, you know, attacking Ukraine, saying that Ukraine does not exist, etc. There is a certain heritage of this ideology. But at the same time, there is this heritage of Stalinism. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting, too, when we compare Stalinism and Nazism, for example, I think it's, it's very interesting and very important also to look at their similarities, not um, in the fact that they killed so many people, but in the fact that both of them were kind of a mixtures between nationalism and socialism. Because uh, it's obvious we all know that Italian fascism and German and NSDAP were also basing up upon the big workers' movements and uh, coming f Italian fascism coming from the Socialist Party and Mussolini was, was himself a socialist before the First World War. Uh, similar trends in, in, in the German uh, national socialism because the NSDAP was a workers' party. We we'll, we're all know that, know that. But Stalinism was also kind of a fight against the internationalism of Lenin and this multicultural empire of the Soviet Union. And, and this was also a kind of a, a bringing Russian nationalism onto the socialist basis of the Soviet Union of the 30s. Yeah, but at the same time, there is no issue in in contemporary Russia like like equality or something. All this uh, leftist agenda. Um, let's come back to what you uh, to what you said about religion of Russia. I think that there is also religion of victory, victory in a kind of a metaphysical sense, because uh, surely enough they are referring to this victory in the Second World War, but it is larger. It's even larger than that because for them Russia cult of Russia, religion of Russia, but Russia victors. Russia, which is uh, which is uh, linked to this victory. And this is a direct result, as I think, of this long, quite long period of humili humiliation. I mean, after Soviet period, which lasted for 70 years, and on an everyday basis, it was a kind of humiliation for Soviet people. We are speaking a lot about Homo Sovieticus, 
in this post-Soviet times about the uh, the poverty, about all the, the, the population was uh, was living poorly and without all these goods of market economy, etc., etc. So this was already about humiliation of people, even if they considered to to live in a kind of glorious times, you know, when Soviet Union was big, was powerful, etc., etc., was big power in the world. But still the population was humiliated. And after the end of the Soviet Union, it was even bigger humiliation for Russia because it, it lost a lot of things. Yeah, But instead of doing something positive about this, some new story, they are living in these um, ideas of a future victory, which will be the, at least the same victory as in the past. And this is the exact reason why this, they started the war, because this is a kind of revenge for all the uh, for all the defeats they live they live through in fact i mean popular and that's why this putinism is so popular among population because when they say that russia is uh, is um, standing up standing up for something big from the knees from yes. the knees it means that it was already on the knees economically i don't know, financially geopolitically etc they starting to be great again not not great, but at least once again, maybe. Yeah. So this is about the humiliation and about these dreams about victory, and this is why this idea that we will be big, yeah, as Soviet Union was big and powerful. So this idea is coming back, and that's why it's so popular. So religion of victory. So and that's why we see, for example, these churches, military churches in Russia. I mean, church for 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 the Russian army. They link very closely this religious idea, this uh, metaphysical idea, with military idea. And that's why for them, nothing which is material, I, I mean, also human lives, it just doesn't, don't matter. It doesn't matter. They can kill people without any responsibility. They can do, they can destroy everything and it doesn't matter. For them, what, what is important is this victory uh, with arms, you know. And this is... Um, Without any, um, I don't see a direct uh, historical parallel to what. Uh, to yeah, what exactly. I I don't think we we should really look at the historical parallels. For example, well, there are lots of comparisons, of course, between Hitler and Putin, and there are, of course, many similar things. But we should look at Putinism as a kind of sui generis. A evil, which has its own uh, particular characteristics. And uh, this imperialism, I agree that uh, Russia has the symptom of wounded empire, like it was an empire which was defeated in the Cold War, and uh, therefore it, it's trying to reconquer its territories. And this is the si si uh, similar symptom uh, with what in 20th century we had with Italian fascism and German Nazism or uh, Spanish Frankism. So an idea that your glory is in the past and you try to bring this glory back. And history shows that every time you try to bring the past glory back, you lose, and therefore Ukrainians are so much convinced that Russia will lose. But yes, and at the same time, let's pay attention to words, to wording, um, and it is important for our audience because in Ukrainians, so from the full state scale invasion, a lot of people in Ukraine they don't call Russians Russians; they call 
and we sometimes also call them Rashisti. Rashisti is a kind of contamination between Russians and fascists, Rashisti. And some other people call them Orki, like this mythology, um, like invented, invented um, how, how can you explain Orki? Mytholo- mythological creatures, creatures. Um, Rashisti. And this is uh, not good at all. Because when when you when you uh, call them Rashisti, it means like uh, there is some people Rashisti which exist and which do all these crimes and they have this war, and there are some other Russians somewhere in Russia who don't support that, who are innocent, etc., etc. Uh, that's why it's much better to call Russians Russians and to uh, and to use words like the Russian army is shelling, Russian army is sending missiles, Russian army is raping the people in the Russian army. They're not 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 specific Russisti, I mean, which are distinctive from uh, from other population because we do know the scope of um, support for for what Russia is doing here. It is extremely high. It it's almost a. a 89%. So uh, let's call Russians Russians. And what they do, it's it's real Russian uh, politics and uh, international politics in Ukraine. Exactly. And um, but at the same time, it's it's important for Ukrainians not to not to use this word all the Russians, all the Russians yeah, are sure. these Russists or whatever. We, we know that there are people who are against this invasion and there are, uh, there are some people who are fighting it on the information front, etc. But uh, unfortunately, what we don't see is the kind of uh, outcome, results of this fighting. It seems to be that many Russians are afraid of, of uh, openly uh, declaring their position. And our experience also shows that those Russians who do not support Putin, they might take a position that, well, this is not my war. We also we also know these these stories from our uh, from our acquaintances. Uh, one thing I think which is very important also to stress, and maybe we will finish on that, is that this lineage with Stalinism, because uh, as I told as I told you b- before, Stalin the, the difference between Stalinism and, and and Nazism, who were both very horrible anti-humane ideo- ideologies. But uh, the difference is that Stalin was also much more fluid, right, in the in the boundaries of these, let's say, privileged pe- people and not privileged people, people who deserve to live and people who don't deserve to live. This created a chance for a person, but this created also kind of a huge, uh, also huge possibilities, uh, bad possibilities, because. If the if this boundary between between uh, people who deserve to live and people who don't deserve to live is so fluid, you can easily enter this class of people who deserve to live, but then you can e- easily move back, you know, and uh, sacrificed. And that explains, in my view, why at a certain moment Stalin was just purging all those people who were around him. So if you are, for example, a director of and covered there, and we have no so so many stories. Yezhov, then, uh, then uh, I don't remember how how others was called. Um, Beria. No, no, no. Beria was was after. Uh, well, okay. Uh, they enter this category, and then they they are just repressed and and killed, you know, mm-hmm. and during the repressions. Why I'm saying this? Because Stalinist tradition does not value any human life. 
That's the difference with with Nazis because the, the Nazis were saying, okay, this class of people we cherish their lives. This class of people we exterminate them, them all. We mm-hmm. we exterminate all the brutes, as Joseph Conrad said in Heart of Darkness. In Stalinism, there is no no such thing. There is a, a leader, a Vosh, Stalin. He is the only person who deserves to live. The only one. All the rest are basically can be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. All the rest are, are slaves that can be sacrificed. There is no vision of a group, of a privileged group. And this creates a huge question that Russians themselves do not consider themselves as a privileged group. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And what's happening now is exactly the illustration of that. Because when we see that Putin started already repressions against his own military and against his own um, own people, it means that there is no nobody's untouchable in 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 contemporary Russia. So Putin is right, untouchable. untouchable. Who is P- Putin? Is right. Whereas Putin, there is a victory, and if there is no victory, it means that somebody guilty. And normally, I do, we, we do know the problems of Minister of Defense Shoigu had, yeah, and Al Gerasimov and all all other people who were who surrounded P- Putin in the beginning of this campaign, and they are all, already. Um, uh, quite far away from the center of taking decisions. So it means that for Putin, uh, they are no, not important. So in that way, we would say that it's close to what um, to what Stalin... Exactly, uh, but look at the way how they are sending their soldiers, because how Stalin was winning the battles, just by sending thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to the, to the, to the battle and just taking with a number. There was this phrase at the same at the, at the time, so we don't care about the, the cost, the including the human life's cost. And what they have been doing now in Ukraine, it's the same strategy, just sending, sending people. They're not caring about the, 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 the casualties. They're not caring about the dead. The recent example of this Moskva warship, they still don't declare how many people died mm-hmm. because we know that there, there was kind of a 500 people on the, on, the, on the ship. They don't declare it. And when you talk to Russians, we see some media uh, making Vox Populi in the uh, current time or some others, and they are asking a question, okay, uh, you Russian, you defending Russian speakers in Ukraine, maybe, why are you bombing Russian-speaking cities? Like Mariu, why are you erasing them from the face of the earth, Mariupol or Kharkiv, etc. You are you are defending them. So why are you erasing them? They they don't have an answer to this question. Why? Because they don't care about Russian speakers and they don't care about their own citizens. Therefore, I'm what what I'm saying is that there is no community called Russians, which which would even be so hor- horrible and criminal as the Nazi German community, but they don't care about even themselves. Just to be a little bit more precise about this uh, idea of sending a lot of people just to, to take, um, to be in mass, let's uh, add anyway that Russia has ex- extremely big problems with mobilization. They don't want to call for general mobilization at that very moment. What they really do, they try to to find people everywhere they can. For example, there is a very bright story, tragic story, 
tragic story in a way, uh, of mobilization in Donetsk and Lugansk oblast. And they, among these people mobilized, there were musicians, jazz musician, musicians from, uh, from Donetsk. And they were sent to Mariupol. And they were killed there. So they were killed Ukrainians, killed by Ukrainians. There was some one very famous musician. They are doing the same thing in the south. They occupied Kherson just one month and a half ago. And they are already mobilizing people there. It means they want to be to, to, it to be a real civil war. I mean what they were calling all this war in Donbass eight years ago, oh, it's a civil war, so it's not about, it's not Russian war against Ukraine, what they are doing now, because they have problems to mobilize people. They don't want to call for general mobilization because they will be obliged to call this war. And they call it military, special military operation. And they don't want to, because people will, we don't know, there is a huge part of Russians, we don't know what they think and if they are really ready to be sent in, in this way to the front. That's why, they, and, and these figures, we do know, they, uh, it's, it's already proven that this kind of mobilization in Ukraine to fight against Ukraine is already happening. Yes, <clears throat> so this is, this is the story. Uh, I hope we try to, try to explain uh, something about Russian ideology, uh, maybe try to also understand ourselves, because in the process of talking, we we'll also try to clarify some, some ideas. It's important uh, not only to fight to help um, those who fight, but also to think and to... To try to understand what's going on. This was uh, Explaining Ukraine podcast. Uh, this is a series uh, which is a co-production by uh, Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Uh, Explaining Ukraine is brought to you by ukraineworld.org. Follow us on social networks, read our website, uh, subscribe to our podcasts on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. You can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. I talked to Tetiana Harkova from Ukraine Crisis Media Center. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko, chief editor at ukraineworld.org. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.